We're continuing this morning our series that we've entitled Shaped by God, Shaped to Make a Difference. And a couple of weeks ago, we started the series by saying that, that God never makes copies of anything. He only makes originals. Why? Because anyone who's been invested in the arts industry will know that the original is always worth far, far more than any of the reproductions. There are no two things in the world that are exactly the same. And that's true of animals, and it's true of trees and snowflakes, and it's absolutely true of you. God made you, and there's no one like you. But not just that he made you unique. He made you purposefully unique. He has designed you in a specific way for a specific task that no one else in the world can fulfill. And if the space that you're occupying in the world is not fulfilled uniquely by you in the way that God has designed you to occupy it, then that space goes empty. And too often, I think, everybody is piling up into one space on the board trying to be the same. And the board itself becomes scattered because because in God's design, everyone has a place. And so we're wrestling with this idea of what it means to find our place in the world. You remember we, we took from architecture, one of the key principles of architecture, that form follows function. You go to an architect and the architect will say, well, what is it that you want this building to do? What is its function? What are you trying to be? You tell me what it is you want to accomplish and I'll design the best building to accomplish it. If you're going to be a church, well, we'll design it this way. If you're going to be a restaurant, we'll design it a different way. If you're going to be a hospital, we'll design it a third way. That's the key principle of architecture. But you remember that that when it comes to human beings, in fact, that principle plays itself out exactly in reverse. When it comes to human beings, function follows form. In other words, examine the way that God made you. And then when you get a sense of the design, how God shaped you, you'll come to a clear understanding of what your purpose is, what you were designed to do. And we've said that there are five things that make you, you. And that's the acronym on the front wall, SHAPE. Let's try this again, folks. It's been a few weeks. The S in SHAPE stands for spiritual gifts. The H for heart. And that's where we've been over the past two weeks. We looked at, at spiritual gifts, and this morning we're looking at heart. And then looking ahead to where we're journeying, the A stands for abilities, the P, personality, the E, experiences. Sheldon, what a difference one week makes. <laughs> you know, not only did we have very, very low attendance last week, it was just a terrible storm, you remember it, but, but the people that were here just weren't awake at all. Whatever they spent just getting here, they used up. But but you're doing much better this morning. Shape. Uh, Today we're going to look at the H, your heart. And and I want to turn your attention to a scripture in Proverbs chapter 27, a key verse, if you'd like, for this message. Proverbs 27 says this, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the whole person. When we use the the language of heart, as we're going to use it in this series, what we're really talking about is your interests, your passions, your desires. This is is part of the emotional component of you. It's not so much intellect, it's desire, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions. These are the things that really motivate you to get up in the morning. What is it that drives you? 
that excites you, that interests you. You know that your heartbeat is different than everybody else's heartbeat? Actually, I think I'd heard that once, but I didn't realize it fully, and so I went and researched it. This You can research it now. Check the heartbeat of the person. No, don't actually. <laughs> don't do that. But your heartbeat, there is nobody in this room whose heartbeat is identical to yours. It's kind of like your fingerprint or your eye print or your voice print. They are unique to you. And what's true physically of your heartbeat is also true emotionally of your heartbeat. There are things that you are extremely interested in that the person next to you could care less about. You could talk about these things all day long and just love them, and and they're going to be bored to tears. And it's not because they don't care about you. It's just that their heart beats differently in those areas. And God gave each of us a different emotional heartbeat. In fact, I think that's key to the way the world functions. If everybody's heart beat the same, if everybody was passionate about the same thing, imagine how we would try and get all the work done in the world that needs to get done. It's important that we like different things. Otherwise, there would be too much that's left undone in the world. God's given us interests, just like he gives different gifts. We look at the gifts last week. Incidentally, if you missed last week, and and I know tons of people did because of the weather, or if you missed week one, can I invite you just to log in on our website and listen in on the message? I, I think it's important that you track with us through each of the elements here to get the full picture of how God has made you. Then you'll get all caught up and and you'll understand where this crazy acronym comes from and why we have primary colors on the wall and and all of that. On the heartbeat, let's just think about what this looks like on a practical level. How many of you are dog lovers? Yeah, you just you love dogs. You can't imagine life without dogs. How many of you are a dog lover living with a cat lover? And you just say, you have no idea why they're cat lovers. Why do we bring cats indoors? That doesn't make any... Cats are for the barn, right? They're they're mice catchers. It makes no sense to them. How many of you could care less about cats or dogs? Both belong in zoos. Neither one belong in the house. There you are. How many of you would say, you know what? When weekend comes, I have to get my NFL fix. I mean, it's just... It doesn't feel like a weekend unless there's some football on the TV. And how many of you live with that person and you're thinking, if there were never ever football on TV again, heaven would inch its way just a few feet closer for us. (laughs) Maybe there's some family feuds we started there. We'll do counseling, marriage counseling after the service. There are things that you care deeply, deeply about that the person next to you could care less about. Where do you think that came from? It came from God. In fact, the Bible says it, and it says it kind of clearly. Let me give you some examples. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 13, it is God who produces in you the desires. That's your interests, your passions, your hopes, your dreams, ambitions. It's God who produces you in you the desires and the actions that he will use to please him. God has made you to be you doesn't want you to be interested in all the stuff that other people are interested in. He wants you to be interested in the stuff that you're passionate about. Here's an important thing. When I do 
what God shapes me to do, there are two inevitable results. First, I will enjoy it. And second, I'll probably be pretty good at it. I wonder, we've asked this question for a couple of weeks now, I wonder how many of you really delight in your work. The work that you do through which you gain income. that You feel like I was uniquely shaped for this and, and I love what I do. You know, most of the time people will wake up at the beginning of the day with two attitudes about work. One of them is, good morning, Lord. And the other is going to be, good Lord, it's morning again. <laughs> and your response is going to depend in a large part based on, uh, will be based on, on how God has shaped you and whether you're working in that place. When you do what you love to do, you don't need a supervisor to monitor you. You don't need bonuses to incentivize you. You just flat out enjoy what you do. On the other hand, if you find yourself trapped in a job that you hate to drag, you'll just find that that clock ticks along like the second hand is covered in molasses. Right? Friday can't come soon enough. Monday comes like punishment every week. Today, that's, that's sort of the direction we want to head. We want to talk about what it means to follow your heart. Your heart, just like the other elements, says a lot about God's will for your life. But here's the problem, and it's a problem we need to tackle at the outset. Our hearts get beat up, they get bruised, they get bumped around, they get broken. We're going to have to talk about that. Before you can know what it is that your heart may be saying about your life, sometimes you just need to go and get it healed. The other way that you know what God made you to do is, is this, by, by just looking at what you're already good at. Because chances are, if you're good at it and you're excited when you do it, that's an indication of how your heart beats. You're not going to accomplish very much in life unless you're passionate about it. But when you're passionate, boy, you will go all out and you will give it your best. This is what the Bible calls being fruitful. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 15, verse 8. You give glory to my Father when you produce a lot of fruit. What does that mean? It means you have a fruitful life. It means you're productive. You're effective. You're creative. God made you to shine, didn't he? He wants you to shine, not to cover up your talents or your passions. You were made to shine. Listen to Jesus again. Matthew 5.16. I want you to shine before others so that they see your good works. And praise your Father. Notice, it doesn't say anything there about speaking. It says, let your light shine. Don't speak out your light. You let it shine so that others can see, not just hear, they see your good works, the fruit of your life. And as a result of that, God gets glorified and, and people see Him more clearly. When people become what God made them to be, it brings glory to God and other people notice. You were made to shine. But as life goes on, see if you can identify with this, your light gets a little bit dimmer and a little dimmer and a little dimmer. The stuff we were once passionate about gets buried and pushed down and covered up with layers of dust and debris. 
before we can ask the question of how we follow our hearts, maybe we need to deal just for a couple of minutes with the things that have robbed us of our passion. You might call them heart stoppers, if you'd like. These are, these are spiritual cholesterol. They block up your heart. We're going to look very quickly at five of them. If you want to have a look at the back of your order of service, you'll see them outlined there. Number one heart stopper is disappointment. And you've been hurt. You're going to tend to pull back into a shell. I'm never going to let anyone or anyone else or anything else hurt me ever. You give up on your dreams. You give up on your ambitions. You give up on your interests and your passions. You retreat into self-protective mode. My number one goal in life from here on is not to be hurt. It's not living. Or if it is, it's living in a self-imposed prison. But that becomes the orientation of your life. Proverbs 13.12 says this, Hope deferred. That means a dream or ambition, a desire that's deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. If at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race. But when we allow disappointment to control our lives, it has a way of stopping up our hearts. Here's a second heart stopper. It's fear, isn't it? It's fear that keeps us from being what God wants us to be. Another one of those self-imposed prisons. Jesus tells a story about this. He calls it the parable of the talents. You know, we actually get the English word talent from this Bible story that Jesus uses. In the Bible, a talent wasn't sort of an ability. A talent was a unit of currency. It was a weighed out measure of silver. It's money. And so Jesus tells the story of a wealthy man who entrusts some talent, some money to his servants. To one of his servants, he gives five talents. To another, he gives three. To a third, he gives one talent. And he says to each of them, I want you to make the best with what I've given you. Go out and invest it. What God says to us, isn't it? Make the most of what I've put in you. I'm not going to judge you according to anybody else, but I will evaluate you based on how you have used what I've given you. Well, one of these servants comes back and and says, Master, I've doubled the investment. Well done, God says. Good and faithful servant. The second one comes back, the three-talent investor. says, Master, I, I took it, I used it, I invested it, I doubled it. Well done, great job. The third guy comes back. You remember the scene? Kind of slinking into the room, eyes downcast, can't look up at all. Master, I didn't do anything with it at all. What? Why not? Remember what he said? I was afraid. I was afraid. It's fear that causes us to bury our talents. Keeps us from living our dreams, from attempting the big goal that God has given us. It's fear that corrals passion and it limits vision and it shrinks the heart. It is absolutely a heart stopper. And then there's a third thing. It's guilt. And this is a big one, isn't it? You cannot be guilty and go after your dream at the same time. Why? Guilt saps all of your energy. It's like carrying around just a big sack of garbage all the time. It's exhausting. Regret. 
past resentments, all that shame, it's all on your back all the time. You cannot be confident and be guilty at the same time. It's why people lose confidence. They lose confidence because they're always thinking, what if somebody finds out? What if they find out about the real me? This gets to the very heart of the gospel. God never intended human beings to live that way. It's what Jesus Christ came absolutely to deal with. He came to earth, was nailed to a cross so that you can stop nailing yourself to a cross. He was hung up there for your hang-ups. He died so that your sins could be forgiven. He paid for them so you don't have to go on paying for them. You can stop beating yourself up about it. Everything you've ever done, it's already been paid for by Jesus Christ. That's just the gospel. It's the most wonderful freeing news out there. I'm going to move ahead and I'm going to be what I've always wanted to be and I'm not going to carry around that, that bag of junk, regret and shame. You can stop beating yourself up. Disappointment, fear, guilt, they're heart stoppers. The fourth one's another big one. It's bitterness, and bitterness will eat you alive. It's worse than cancer. When you become resentful, when you're always thinking about how to retaliate and get revenge for something that happened in the past, what it means is you are actually stuck back there in the past. You can't get on with the present life. You can't think about the future. You're so hung up with that person that hurts you. Let it go. They may not deserve it, but you didn't deserve it either, right? You didn't deserve to be forgiven, but God forgave. Let it go. Not because they deserve it. Let it go because you need to get on with the rest of your life. When you let, let go of what's in the past, there's a freedom there. When you hold on to it, it's kind of like driving a car in reverse all the time, right? Or just trying to drive by looking in the rearview mirror. Eventually, Eventually, you're just going to crack up. The past is the past. The people in the past cannot hurt you anymore unless you allow them. But every time you go over it again and again in your mind, you're allowing them to hurt you again. And it's useless. Let it go. Bitterness is a heart stopper. It's a heart disease that robs you of the ability to enjoy life. And here's the fifth one. It's rejection. And it may be the most painful of them all. Anyone who's ever experienced rejection from a friend or a parent, a former spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you know the way that it stops your heart. Rejection just flat out hurts. Let me just pause for a second and, and notice, and it's in your notes, that the Bible is really honest about all of these heart conditions. About fear, this is what it says in Proverbs 12, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. About guilt, this is what it says from Proverbs 40, my sins have caught up with me so that I can no longer see. About bitterness, it says from Psalm 73, when my heart was bitter, I was angry and I was senseless. You don't think rationally when you're bitter and resentful. You do stupid things. Hands up if you can testify to that. You, just the most ridiculous decisions come out of bitterness. About rejection, it says in Psalm 64, they cut me down with sharpened tongues. They aimed their bitter words like arrows 
straight at my heart. Some of you know what that's like. When you're growing up, you heard words like these in a playground, or worse, you heard them at home. You're worthless. You're ugly. You're never going to amount to anything. And on and on and on. And you believed them. After all, they were the adult in your life. You were a kid and you thought adults were supposed to be right. They were wrong. And they lied to you. And you need somehow to go back and erase the tape. You need to stop building your life on what critics have said to you and start building it on the strong foundation of what God says to you. And this is what God says about you. I made you. I formed you. I planned you. I have a purpose for your life. I've gifted you with talents and abilities and a heart that races with excitement about some things. And I love it when you do what I made you to do. Stop listening only to what other people say about you. Listen to what God says about you. And if you feel like giving up, we can't say this strongly enough or often enough to each other. Don't give up. If you feel like jettisoning the dream, giving up on the passion, don't do it. Instead, God says, let me reshape and heal your heart. And part of our hope for this series is that somehow God will show you the shape of your life and that he will heal what's gone wrong there and allow you to get back to being what he designed you to be, not waste any more time trying to be something that you're not. God made you to be you. And when you be you, and you do it for God's glory, and you're good at it, you're you're good at it, it gives glory to God as well. This is what the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 23. This is another one of those verses that, well, I hope this page in your Bible is dog-eared. This verse is underlined or circled. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, I don't care if it's in the garage or the garden or an office or at school. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do, do it with passion, with interest, with vitality. Do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not human masters. How is it that we do that? To work with all our heart, especially when our heart hurts. It's been beaten up or broken or bruised. I'm going to suggest four things here. Again, you'll find them in the back of your order of service. We'll move through them quickly, but, but here's the first one. And this is the step that you cannot skip. Without this, nothing else works. You need to open your heart to Jesus. Open it as wide as it needs to be to Jesus, the one who gave you that heart in the first place. Just open it up. Nobody can change it or heal it like Jesus. I don't care what heartache you've been through what habit you're dealing with, what hang-up you can't let go of. Nobody deals with your heart the way Jesus can. And yes, God gave you a heart. And He placed in it passions and dreams and desires. They came from God. God put them there. It makes you, you. But, this is really important, but unless they're under His control, all of those desires can be misused They can be abused, misapplied, misdirected, and they can be wasted. Around the world, there are millions and millions of passionate, talented people with interests and dreams and ambitions that are being misused and misdirected and abused. And that's why in spite of all of their talent and ability and their heart, they're unhappy. 
because they're not using these things the way they're intended. And instead of bringing glory and satisfaction, they bring misery. When your passions are misdirected, it makes you miserable. And maybe some of you are thinking, Richard, you know what? To be honest, I don't think I'm really passionate about anything anymore. You know what that means, don't you? It means that you're disconnected from God right now. Cannot be connected to the living God and be dispassionate. When you're plugged into God, it's like having your finger in a 220-volt circuit. In fact, the closer you are to God, the more passionate you become. Why? Because God is a passionate being. The only reason you have emotions is because you are made in the image of God, and God is emotional. He gets jealous when he sees you ignoring him for something else. God is love. He has feelings that can be hurt. The only reason you have emotions is because God gave them to you. He's an emotional God. Listen to what he says to Jeremiah. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will never stop loving you. There's nothing that can make me stop loving you. In the book of Isaiah, he says, See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. And foretelling the life of Jesus, the nails will go right through those palms. See how much I love you. Look at this. I'm willing to let these hands be nailed to a cross. You can't tell me that's not passion. That's not emotion. Nobody will love you the way God does. He's a passionate God. And when you spend time with Him on a daily basis, you can't help but be passionate. It turns out, who you hang out with really does make a difference. Give me a teenage kid. Actually, just think about yourself as a teenage kid. Surround them with a group of people who are dispassionate, who care about nothing, apathetic. And what happens within a matter of weeks? They all become apathetic, cynical. Why? Who you hang out with makes a difference. But if you hang out with God, passion, be passionate about life. Are you really looking for more energy, more more enthusiasm, more get up and go in your day? Let me tell you, you get it where you hang out. In fact, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek words en theos, in God. When you are in God, the result is enthusiasm more passion that you want in life, the more you seek God who is nothing if not passionate. Revelation 3.20 gives us that beautiful image. Behold, I stand at the doorway of your life. I'm knocking. You hear my voice. You'll open the door. I'll come in. We'll eat together. We'll fellowship together. We'll party together. We'll build a relationship. I don't want religion, God says. I want relationship with you. And I'm not sure how those words land in your life this morning, but maybe, maybe Jesus has been standing the door of your life for a long time, knocking away. He's a gentleman. He's not going to bust down the door. But you've got to open it if you want to be healed. And after you've opened it, that's the second thing that you do. First you open your heart to God, and then you let God heal it. All of us have some malady of the heart, do we not? At some point, whether it's disappointment, fear, shame, guilt, hurt, rejection, ridicule, we bear the scars. 
and it's in our pain. This is the, the surprising witness of Scripture. It's in our pain that God is actually closest to us. Notice what the Bible says in Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. How does He do it? I guess it's kind of like divine heart surgery, isn't it? This heart that you've got, beat up, scarred, wounded, let me operate. For the guilty heart, inject forgiveness. For the resentful heart, I prescribe peace. For the anxious heart, let's build in confidence. For the lonely heart, let's immerse it in love. For the heart that's been shriveled by bitterness and anger, a new regimen that makes it forgiving and loving and kind. Let me do a little heart surgery in your life and I will set you free. So first you open your heart to God, then you, then you let Him heal it. And then third, only then are you ready to start listening to your heart as it leads you in understanding how God has shaped you for your life. Listen to your heart. And in fact, this is, this is going to mean a fundamental change probably in one of the key characters of your life. You need to slow down. Slow down long enough to really, really listen in. The generation, we are all accelerator and no brakes, aren't we? Romans 12.3 says, and this is wise counsel, be honest. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves. So what I suggest you do is this. Set aside some time Get alone with God and ask yourself some questions. You might want to write these down. I'm going to give you four. Four questions as you listen to your heart. First, what do I love to do? What is it that I love to do? What do I dream of doing? That's the second question. What do I dream of doing? Third, ask, what is it that fascinates me? And then fourth, you may just want to ask honestly, where have I been most effective in my life? What do I love doing? What do I dream of doing? What fascinates me? And where have I been most effective in my life? The kind of questions you want to start asking and listening in to your own heartbeat. The Bible says this in Galatians 6, in verse 45, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. In other words, what God put you on earth to do. Make a careful exploration of who you are, the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. But don't compare yourself to others. The verse ends. Don't compare yourself to others. Why? They're shaped differently. Open up your heart, let God heal it, and then listen. And then finally, and this is just a little bit of practical nuancing of this, look at your options. Find out all that you can about the things that interest you. Don't just jump into the pool before you check the temperature or even do that realistic self-appraisal and say, you know what, I never took swimming lessons. Don't jump before you ask yourselves honestly about what it is that you're reflecting on. Do your due, due diligence. Proverbs 19, verse 2. Desire, it says, your heart, ambitions, goals, your loves. Desire without knowledge is no good. Don't be over hasty. To sin is to miss the mark. Desire 
without knowledge is not good. To be over hasty is to sin and miss the mark. You get the sense of the verse? Don't be reckless. Don't be irresponsible. Do your due diligence. I might say I love Thai food. I do love Thai food. And surely one of God's great gifts to the world. Spicy, aromatic. Anyway. And maybe, maybe my love of Thai food would cause me to think that God's design for my life would be to open a Thai food restaurant. Any former restaurant owners in the church? Yeah, we have them. They'll say, that's tough work. 95% of all businesses and startups fail within five years. Why? Desire without knowledge. A little prudence, a little good sense, a little forethought saves a lot of pain. So here's some things you might want to consider as you start listening in on your heart and thinking about your passions. Talk to some people who are already successful in what it is that you'd like to do. Seek them out. Interview them. Listen to the story of their lives. Read widely. Study. Maybe take a trip. Take a course. If you're young enough, maybe you could be an intern somewhere. Bounce your ideas off your small group. That's one of the reasons we have small groups in the life of the church. The Bible says we need the wisdom of other people. Ask them, hey, I'm thinking of becoming a professional dancer. (laughs) Richard? Remember, you're all duck. There's no swan in you. But then this, experiment. Experiment. That's the biggest thing of all. Volunteer. Just get started in something. If you're going to follow your heart, there comes a moment when you launch out in faith and you expect that God will be with you. And as you do so, take this with you, this beautiful promise from Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord. Put God first. You say, God, you're number one. I want to do with my life what you designed me to do. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What a promise. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You bow with me for prayer. As we go to prayer, maybe you want to think about which of these heart stoppers has been preventing you from following your passions. Disappointment, fear, guilt, resentment, ridicule, whatever it is. Jesus Christ wants to heal your heart. Remember, He said, I have come to give you real life, life in its fullness. Life better than you've dreamed. And then maybe you want to pray this with me. Dear Jesus Christ, I open up my heart to you today. You've made it. You know what's in it. You know all about it, and so I open it up to you. I know that you've been knocking on the door, and today I invite you to come right in. And I ask you, Lord, to heal my heart where it's been bruised or battered or broken. Would you heal the scars and the disappointments? And then help me to listen carefully to discover what you have made me to be 
to listen again to the things that you have made me love and be passionate about. Restore the dreams that you've given me in my life. Help me to look carefully at all the options. And then once I know, Lord, help me to launch out in faith and to trust you. Today I say, Lord, this heart is yours. I've been shaped to serve you. I want to do it for the rest of my life. In your name I pray. Amen.